And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. I always say that authenticity is a leading indicator in politics. People hunger for that, I think, more now than ever. And the same is true in uh, other public realms, including news. And one of the most interesting people on the scene today is, is Gail King at CBS News, the CBS Morning News, because she's utterly authentic. She's got a long history in news, but also a pension for speaking her mind, for asking the questions that people want asked, but um, others might not. And uh, so I went by to see her the other day at CBS to talk about her life and career, but also where we are um, in uh, today's news environment. Gail King, it's so great to see you again. I see you you in the mornings, but... I remember you, David Axelrod. Listen, I was flattered you asked me to do it, so I'm glad that we could finally sit down face-to-face. Yes. Uh, So, you know, the world is full of these stories about people who fight their way up from hard-scrabble roots and everything. So I want you to tell me about the mean streets of Chevy Chase, Maryland. I know. Isn't that something? Yeah. It's very <laughs> tough in Chevy Chase. Well, I think first we have to go the mean streets of Ankara, Turkey for me. Cause yes. I no, I want kid, to talk about that as well. I mean, that's what... That, that, I, I actually envy people who can say, I was born and raised in and fill in the blank. Because I don't have that. We moved around when I was a kid. So I don't have hometown, homegrown roots. And I envy people that have that because it anchors you. But, you know, I, I, was, I was raised, my formative years were in Ankara, Turkey, from first grade to sixth grade. And at the time... Your dad was an electrical been, engineer. He was an electrical engineer who worked for the government. And we were uh, sent to Turkey. And people say to me, Gail, your dad was not an electrical engineer. I go, what was he? Oh, he was clearly in the CIA. People tell me this. And I said, nope, I was never told that. Well, you wouldn't be told that. You wouldn't be told that. But it's interesting, David. When he died, I was um, going through some of his things, and I found a card that said E. Scott King. His name was Scott King. E. Scott King uh, passed to go to the White House to the West Gate or something. And by then, um, you know, I don't even know if my mother knew it. People said, you didn't have a black man who was in Ankara, Turkey, in the 60s, who... He had a room that we couldn't go in. He was a ham. Hmm. Ham was his, listen to this, ham was his um, hobby, I was told. And he had a room that we could not go in, and he would be there all hours of the night doing We were not allowed to touch anything. We were never this, allowed this in This raises room. some suspicion. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, now that I'm older, I'm starting to think about it for the first time. But I'm telling you, growing up. You didn't see up, him talking into his shoe, did you? Nope, never a shoe. <laughs> his pen. <laughs> Never, never a shoe. I mean, I think about it now, and I've sort of asked people, do you think that he could have been? And people say, oh, yeah, he definitely was. But I, I have never known that and still don't know that. I was always told he was an electrical engineer, and we were sent to Turkey, and we were there from first grade to sixth grade. And what was that experience like? Well, you know, when you're a kid, you just go where your parents go. And so... I don't have this, oh, we lived in, you know, blasé, like you're smoking a cigarette. Oh, I lived in Ankara, Turkey. I have very clear memories of going to Paris, going to Athens. I remember touring the Acropolis. It was very hot. 
saying to my parents, why can't we go back to the hotel and go swimming as opposed to looking at these rocks? <laughs> and my dad said, one day you're going to appreciate this. This is very important what we're doing. And now I pull out my pictures of me in sixth grade going, this is me in the Acropolis. See? <laughs> I'm a very well-traveled child. What did you learn about the world I mean, not just the sightseeing, but what, I mean, did you have exposure to Turkey when oh, you were yeah. there? Oh, yeah. You know, I, all, all of my friends were Turkish. I'll meet someone and I'll say, they'll say they're Turkish and I'll go, merhaba nasilsinus. And they go, oh, you speak, that That means, hello, how are you in Turkish? And I say, I lived in Otis Dokus Aitin Sokak, Mebusebleri, oh. And I said, that's all I know, my address and hello, how are you? But I can remember, you know, playing with Turkish friends. I had some American friends, too. I could speak it when I was a little kid. I can't speak it now. And, you know, just the cultures are very different. You know, the, the Muslim religion was very different to me. You know, I can remember going to a, a Turkish friend's house for breakfast, and they have, you know, bread and tea and don't have eggs and bacon and pancakes. And I remember having 15 pieces of bread. And I remember the mother talking to the daughter well, she eats quite a lot. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this is all we're having? Just this toast and tea? So it was very different cultures, but I loved it. I loved it. And when you watch the news from Turkey now, because this is a very yeah. fraught time in Turkey, yeah. does it? Do, do, do your memories go back to that time? They, and how do you process what you see? I, I don't, because you know my life was going to school, playing with friends. And so I didn't have any uh, historical perspective. I, I didn't really even become interested in world events until I was maybe in college. I remember as a kid, we, we had to watch the news. And I remember saying to my dad, it's so boring. <laughs> and he would say again, you should always know what's going on in the world, always. Walter Cronkite, huh? Yes. We, we, coming back to Turkey, coming back from Turkey, I did a lot of reading because we didn't have television. So mm-hmm. I was very smitten with TV. And we had to sit as a family, have dinner tonight, dinner together and watch the news. And I, there again, I would say it's boring. He goes, you should always know what's going on in the world. So one of my big regrets, my dad died when I was in college at, um, at a very early age, mm-hmm. 46, that he didn't get a chance to see this. But on some level, I think he's seeing it. I he have would, the same thing. My dad died when I was 19. 19, and, I know. Uh, we were young, David. Yes. And we so it's young. sad, you know, to think that he never got to meet my he, kids. My, yes. My, now my grandkids. I know. He, I he, would, he was older. He would have been like a hundred and something now. So he probably wouldn't have met the grand, great grandkids. But, but, but that is sad. But, but you I, do miss a little bit of that for him to have seen and what you've oh, accomplished yeah. and what you've done. Everybody wants that. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure you have a little of this. I just always hope that there's a little bit of him and me. You know what yeah. I mean? But um, you know, I'm interested in in your experiences because. Um, you know, and, and I, I actually I related to the guy I work for, Barack Obama, who grew up, uh, spent some time in yeah. Indonesia. Yeah. Um, how does how does it change your? I know you didn't study world events, yeah. But you were immersed in a different culture, and you were aware that there was a world beyond yeah. America. How, how did that? change your thinking and how does it affect your thinking now? Well, I think it makes you a lot more tolerant about things. You know, I'm very open to all different kinds of cultures and ideas. Mm-hmm. And I'm used to seeing and being around people that don't look like me. I'm used to, you know, fitting into, I think, all different kinds of situations. And so I marvel when I meet people who say, I didn't see, I, I never even met a black person until I was in college. Or uh, a black person that says, I didn't spend much time around white people. So I, you know, so I, I just think it gives me a different perspe- 
perspective about life in general. And it wasn't just your experience in Turkey, but as I alluded to earlier, you grew up in some pretty Tony places. Yes, and my Tony guess would be the word. Yeah. Tony. Uh, but I didn't know they were Tony then. I didn't. I can remember coming home saying to my mom, because I got teased in seventh grade. We lived in Menlo Park, you know, in Atherton. I grew up in a house that had a pool. And, you know, so I, I have been a very privileged kid. And I remember the black kids didn't like me. They called me Oreo cookie, Aunt Sarah. Nobody wanted to hang out with me. And I can remember getting a, a, a D because I couldn't bring myself to get an F. I can remember deliberately flunking a test to get bad, a bad grade. And my dad said, why did you do that? Because I know you know this material. And I said, because the kids don't like me. And I thought, you know, hmm. if I got a bad grade, they would like me better. And he said, well, do they? I go, well, no. <laughs> you know, they're still calling me Oreo and uh, Oreo cookie, black on the outside, white on the inside, not Sarah. And he said, you know, you should never, ever try to change who you are to get people to like you. So I was always, I was teased by the black community. And I remember thinking, hmm, what can I do to fit in? I'd invite them over to come over and go swimming as a way to get in their good graces. So, you know, those kind of things really, uh, I don't want to say scar you, but I do think about that. I do mm -hmm. think about that. And now I feel it's silly to try to change your life or change your personality, dim your light to fit into anybody ever. It's, uh, it's also, uh, it's difficult because we live in times in which we seem to be more siloed. Yeah. And... Social media has something to do with that. The economy has something yeah. to do with that. But, you know, it, and I think it showed up in this last election. Oh, because for sure the it did. People who voted for Hillary Clinton were stunned that Donald Trump could win. And I have a place in rural Michigan, and the people there all had Trump signs in their yards. They couldn't, they had no, they, 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 they thought it it was crazy that Trump wouldn't win, you know? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people felt that, but I think, I'll, I'll, I'll hit that in a second, but I think one of the reasons why Barack Obama resonated with me in his speech in 2004, yes. where he said the part about being educated yes. and reading a book. Yes, that was a, a I know, powerful I thought, oh life. my God, he's talking about me! Right. I mean, and I've never, ever forgotten that. To he, hear said somebody to get, to say, oh, he said we have to get past the slander that says a yes, black child reading a, a, that's a book right. is acting white. Yes, yes. Because I'd say, what does acting white mean? Or you speak proper English. What does that mean? Shouldn't we all be speaking proper English? But what's so interesting about the election of Donald Trump? I remember that night so clearly because we had a meeting at 530 where it said, you know, the numbers are coming in. This is going to be an early night in TV news. Yes. We'll be able to call the election by 11 o'clock. Which, because the polls, as you know, close on the West Coast at 8. Right. So, and you can't call an election right. before everything's closed. So we'll be able to call this by 11 o'clock, and we'll probably have an early night, and we'll go home by midnight. Well, yes. as you know, that didn't happen, and we were here till 3 or 4. So I think everybody was sort of stunned. Although it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that it wasn't going to work out the way the anal Many people an thought an it analysts, was. including me, yeah. uh, said it was going to turn out. And I think... Part of it was that there was misleading data out there. Part of it was just, frankly, the elite filter. I mean, yeah. because nobody in the in 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 Manhattan, yes, or downtown Chicago, or was uh, considered the possibility. Or, or David, what do you think about this? Do you think that people told the truth in the polls? 
Well, I think there's an element of that. Uh-huh. I think there's an element of that. It's also, uh, but uh, you know, it has. There's also something to do with turnout models, and you know, you base it on the last election. Yes, and, yes. And, and if they change, that throws the whole uh, the whole model off. But you know, you mentioned Obama uh, and your identification with with him. I remember when I was working for him, when he was just running for the U.S. Senate, he was a state mm-hmm. senator, and he was not really a frontier candidate mm-hmm. when he started. And he went down to southern Illinois, closer to Little Rock than Chicago. And this kid who was traveling with him called me and said, hey, we just had a great session in this VFW hall down here. And I said, and, and I was surprised. And that night I talked to Obama and I said, gee, that Heard you had a good day. So why do you sound so surprised? <laughs> yes. So I know a black guy named Barack Obama in yes. deep southern Illinois. I thought it might it's be different. challenging for you. And he was he was actually taking He said, no. He said, you know, I, I go in there and I talk about my grandfather who uh, fought in Patton's Army and my grandmother who was a Rosie the Riveter. And in World War II, and we have the we have a good time. Yeah. And I real that was at at that moment I realized this guy felt comfortable in any room he walked yeah, into. He didn't yeah. there was no audience that he didn't feel, feel comfortable yeah. with. He could go into the inner city, into into the suburbs, into these rural communities. And yeah. at a time when the country was so riven, yep. that was a real gift. But I th- it was absolutely a consequence. Now, obviously, he came from a, 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 a family that was uh, mixed. So, yep. uh, but so it, it also- was not foreign to him. You know, I remember when I first heard about him, I couldn't remember if his name was Barack Obama or Obama Barack. I remember calling People- somebody saying, what was the name of that guy you were telling me about? Yes. That guy in Chicago. Is it Barack Obama or Obama Barack? Now, it's funny to even think that because uh, we have to say both names were unusual. Yes. But that's what I think about the president of the United States. It should be somebody, black or white, who can relate to everybody. That's why, you know, when you say the president of the United States of America, it really should mean that. And you should feel that your president, whether you voted for him or not, is connected to you. I have great, great, great respect for the office of mm-hmm. the presidency. Regardless of who's in the White House at the time, I have great respect for that office. Yeah, I sat in the office next to the president, and you have greater respect when you are there and you see what comes to that desk hour after hour, a lot of which is never known, but is so complex. Uh, President Obama always used to say, nothing comes here if it's easy. If it's easy, someone else deals with it. Only the tough ones come here. (laughs) And it is is remarkable. But it does beg the question when you say it should be someone who speaks to the whole country, whether you think that that, uh, Donald Trump is doing that. Well, you know, there again, I go back to uh, when he was first elected and they went to the White House. And Barack Obama said... um, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I think that we all should support him because we want him to be president of the United States, and we want him to succeed. That's the thing. We all want the president of the United States to succeed, and I think depending on where you stand, you could say either it's working out very well or it's not. I do feel that the country is very divided, and that that concerns me. That concerns me. Do we place the blame at him? I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but I do think that we are very divided, and I'm very afraid about that. So you're in an interesting position because you you see Americans every morning. You deliver the news. You talk to newsmakers from left to Mm -hmm. right. There's a certain expectation of you that you should be um, 
fair and objective, and mm-hmm. I, I think you do a good job. Mm-hmm. Of I don't, it's not but, hard to me to be fair and objective. But, but you we're do also have human beings, right? You also have yes, views. Well, yes, we're also human beings. So, uh, does is that hard for you? You 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 strike me as someone who is without guile, uh, and one of the reasons that you, I mean, I think news is uh, like a little bit like politics in that authenticity is the most valued thing you can have. Yeah. And you have I that. I agree. But you have that in part because you seem willing to say whatever's on your mind. And that gets me into trouble, David Axelrod. I know. I'm trying to get you into trouble. <laughs> you know, that, that gets me into trouble. Because, <laughs> you know, what I've been told is people don't want to hear your opinion. You are here to deliver the news. That so may I, be true but, on the news, but, but not the, on the Axe Files. <laughs> Yeah, but there are sometimes that something will happen, whether it's politics, whether it's human nature, whether it's just something that I find egregious, whether it's, you know, a police shooting that I see, you know, where something just happens that you go, God, I just can't ignore the fact that that just happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to be very judicious because I know that people don't tune in to hear my opinion. I really do think that we do a good job on that, you know, in terms of delivering the news that you can deliver a news broadcast and not take it to silly school, but you can have fun too. Mm-hmm. But you're right. You're, you're raising something that I think is very important because sometimes it is very difficult not to say, can you believe what we just saw or why did they say mm-hmm. or what are they doing? That's very difficult. Well, I've heard you challenge politicians. <laughs> uh, it's and, not challenging. Uh, it's just inquiring. No, no, I understand. But, but it's disarming in that you say the stuff that I think people are thinking. I, I will not mention the politician. Who, uh, because I don't want to impugn anyone here, but there was a politician who was on uh, your show not long ago, and that politician said something, and it was so patently political mm-hmm. that anybody who was watching it would know that. And you said, okay, I'm going to ask the same question, and I want you to answer this time in not political yeah, speech. Yeah, well, you know, I think, I think it's hard uh, sometimes to interview politicians because they come with a, a list of talking points. Mm-hmm. And I think that... I used to write those. Oh, yeah, did you? Yes. Well, you're very annoying. <laughs> those, I've been ve- told that, you're, including you're, by my clients when I gave them talking points. <laughs> you're very annoying, David Axelrod, because what you want is to have a real, true conversation with someone. And I'm never trying to do a gotcha or well, you said this and how come you're now saying this? Because I also believe everyone has a right to change their mind. But sometimes people do have to, you do have to point out things. But I, I always strive to get like a real genuine breakthrough moment with a politician. And most of them are so skilled. They have an agenda. You can ask a question with a politician. They will give you a total different answer because they're so ready to stick to the talking points. No, no. I, believe me. You know, this whole You wrote thing, the talking po- points. And this, ah. these po- Yeah. Although I will say that, uh, they that didn't the person like who was points. the person who uh, – Obama was probably one of the most resistant – uh, to, to them, and, and and you know the fact of the matter is, um, I was generally you know we would talk about what we wanted to get across, mm-hmm. and he would get uh, get it across in his own way, and generally more effectively than any talking points would allow. Yeah. Sometimes a little overlong. Yes, that was a battle we had for for. I've heard him described as a long talker. Yes, but um, but With all but, due respect, yes. Yeah. And once you become president, it's even harder to tell someone, you know, sir, uh, the seven-minute answers probably aren't, you know, he didn't, he didn't, his thing was, I always want to give him a complete answer. So well, that like, he did. Yes. That um, he did. But um, 
getting back to your life, you you didn't set out as you said you weren't even focused on current events no. until you were older and no. and you didn't study you went to the University, yeah, of, Maryland. To University of Maryland you didn't study uh, journalism you, you know what David I have always liked listening to people's problems so I thought I'd be a great child psychologist or a psychologist mm-hmm. even today I love listening to people's problems and giving unsolicited advice I did it the <laughs> other day on an airplane a uh-huh. guy was sitting there talking to me about his girlfriend and that you know she was going to be meeting his family for the first time, and he was a little nervous about that, blah, 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 blah. So I followed up to check with him to see, how would that go? Did they like her? So I'm very good. And did at, they? They did. Oh, good. They did. So you gave good advice. Huh? Yeah, she was uh, a different culture than he I was, see. and he was worried about that. He was Jewish. She was not. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I love, I've always liked people, always. I've always been a chatty Cathy kid have always enjoyed interacting with people. So I thought I'd be great in psychology, which I majored in, or then I thought I'd go to law school because I also thought arguing a case in front of a jury, wouldn't I be good at that, Zane? Yeah, yeah you'd Zane be good. is shaking his head. He's the engineer. Zane's our engineer yeah. here. Zane's our engineer. He's shaking his head. Yes, I'd yes. be good at that. So presenting your case. <laughs> but I was working part-time at a... I got a, a part-time job as a production assistant, entry-level position in a TV station. And I walked in there and I was hooked by what why, I saw. why did you go? Why did you get the job in the first place? Well, because I was working at a camera station, which was next door to the CBS station, which was WTOP at the time. And all the muckety mucks used to come in to get their uh, film. You know, back then when you'd say, "Do you want matte or glossy, double prints <laughs> or not?" I was that girl behind uh-huh. the counter. Uh-huh. So I was filling out the forms, and one of them happened to be a, a high-level executive who said, have you ever thought about TV? You have such a pleasant way and you have a beautiful voice. I go, I do. I never thought anything about my voice. Well, we have Nobody an- said matter glossy. Yes. Like you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. I'm very impressive with that. Or four by six or five by seven. Um, so he said, you know, we have an entry-level position. Would you be interested? And I did something that you never do when someone's handing you a gift. Do I have to work weekends? He goes, well, Gail, no, uh, you have to work nights. Can you swing that? And so <laughs> I, I really took it, and he was being very sarcastic, because when someone's offering you a gift, you don't, you don't challenge right. the, you, yes. d- you know what you say, David, I'll, thank you. Unless you're 19 or 20 years <laughs> right, old. Right, right. And then you That's know, exactly right. don't know what to do. You're 19 or 20, you go, I don't really care about TV, so <laughs> what do I have to lose? Uh-huh. And then I got in the newsroom, and I was hooked. I, yeah. I just thought. So tell me about that. I, you know, I, I, I relate to that as well because I was a journalist. You know, I, I started at the Chicago Tribune yeah. and spent my formative years there, and um, there w- it was such an exciting place so to be. Too. I was on nights for a few years, and uh, but the newsroom was just—it's like it—it it never slept. Everything was, you know, yep. anything that was happening, you were right in the middle of it. You have a front good row way to seat. know a city too. Front row seat, and imagine when there's breaking news. Yeah. Imagine when there's breaking news. Yeah. And so I became hooked. And you look at the newspapers today with the New York Post. I mean, not New York Post, the Washington Post. I'm sitting here because the New York Post is in front of me talking about the Emmys the other day. I was very, I was very into the Emmys. Um, you look at the Washington Post and the New York Times, and they are killing it. And I just think it's so important to have a working press and it is our job to challenge. It is our, We are truth seekers is, is yeah. really what we are. The heart of what so we do. So there are, there, are, there are more than a few people who doubt that. I know. I know. But I'm talking the really good ones. Yeah. The really good ones who really love this job. We really are truth seekers. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you something. I, I think the Times, the Post, 
you know, the journal USA Today, there are, and I know you read all of these papers, yeah. they, they are doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, it is concerning what's happening to uh, just local newspapers around the country who are really struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Dean Backey, the editor yeah, of The Times, of spoke the Times. to this yes. uh, recently. That's where the, you know, in Chicago, the papers are struggling. Some cities, they, their papers have basically folded. They'll have a digital uh, presence. It's a well, it's long, a tough business. Well, as long as there's people who are, you know, one day we're all going to die off. I realize that, but people my age, I still love picking up a paper. Yeah, me I too. still like the feel of it. I still like the smell of it. I'm I with still you. like turning a page. But yes. but David, pretty soon we won't be here anymore. Well, you know, my kids uh, who are grown, they're about yeah. the same age as yours. Yeah. Uh, they never read newspapers. I know. And I, I used Mine to, don't either. In, in the 2008 Obama campaign, <laughs> Mine don't I either. used to read newspapers incessantly and rip stuff out and put it in a folder. Yes. And these kids would look at me yes. like, what are you doing? Go I sit said, well, down, dinosaur man. And, yes, exactly. I know. Exactly. And I'd have this big stack and I'd be fumbling through them. I know. And, uh, and it was, I, I did feel like a dinosaur. Yes, it is. It's very, like it is very disconcerting. But... There's, 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 there's still something that we lives. can do. Content the lives. Content it's just lives. a question of how people can make yeah. money doing it. So you, you decided you were going to have a career in uh, journalism. Mm-hmm. You went to Baltimore. So I went to Baltimore. The, uh, you know, it's amazing what creative writing can do on your resume, without lying. So I took that as, you know, I was an entry level position. I would write the copy. I would organize the slides. You know, back in the day, if you were talking about. City Hall. I was the one that pulled the slide that said City Hall. Mm-hmm. I was the one that typed in the Chiron for the names. Mm-hmm. You know, the President of the United States is the only one that doesn't get a Chiron. Chiron are the lower third type. Yeah, the super, you where see you see the their screen. name. Like yeah. it would say David Axelrod or Gail King mm-hmm. or Zane. Zane, what's your last name? It would say Zane Maxwell, engineer. So we, we would have... The, we've done 180 of these, and this is the best that Zane has ever had because <laughs> no one's ever paid attention to him before. Well, I know you can't do this without a crew, David Axelrod. I you, know. You didn't walk He's in here with all this equipment. He's Zane in, did this. He's indispensable. So we can't do this without Zane. But you know what else he's thinking? He's what? thinking that I should say we need to take a short break, and we'll be right back <laughs> oh, okay. with Gail King. All right. So you you were saying you organized your uh, you, you were in charge of the Chiron yeah and the, the Chiron sort of and, the, yeah. the the stuff that you need for the visual yeah presentation. the visual that's what I did and 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 don't forget this was in Baltimore this was in Baltimore mm-hmm. and don't forget you know running the prompter you know so back in the day before it wasn't all in the computer you had somebody who's physically putting in the scripts on a conveyor belt like yes. I love Lucy and turning the prompter right so that was my job and. A couple of times I ran it backwards accidentally for the anchor. That's never good. No. Uh, or the things sped up when I didn't want it to. Also never good. But so I did. It was a very now, entry-level position. Have people position. done that to you subsequently? A couple of times. Yeah. And I, Are and you then, more tolerant because, there, you, yes, were, because I, you were a foot soldier? I actually am. Yeah. I actually am. It takes a lot, David, actually, to get me mad. Mm-hmm. Because I think that we're all grown-ups. Nobody intends to Some screw up. Some more than others. <laughs> Some more than others. Yeah. Nobody intends to screw up. So I very seldom really get angry. But when I do get angry, it really is like, oh, beep, she's really mad. Yeah. And so I, I'm very... So it has, a, it has impact. It does, as opposed to someone who's always screaming and hollering and pissed off all the time. I was never... that. That's just not the nature of my personality so, in general. So one of the, uh, one of the 
prominent anchors yeah. in Baltimore was someone who became a good friend of you. Yeah, that's how, that's how Oprah and I first met at the station in Baltimore. We were both 21 and 22. We were young and black and single. And I was there was a big storm in Baltimore, which speaks to who she is. Because in Newsroom Hierarchy, the production assistant is down here, low to the table, and the anchor is way up here over my head. She's an anchor at 22? I know. Yeah, Man, that's something. Well, she had started at 19 in Nashville, and then she was brought to Baltimore. And it didn't last long, her, her, her job there. Then that's how they took her off the news and put her on daytime TV, mm-hmm. which, as we see, has worked out Tur- for turned her. Turned out to be okay. Yeah, it's worked out yeah. okay. But, I mean, she heard that I was stranded and said, why don't you spend the night at my house? And I didn't really know her well, but I ended up spending the night there, and we ended up talking all night long and realized... We had very like-minded philosophies and liked and disliked the same people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I told that story years ago, and it's somebody. the headline was, The Night I Slept at Oprah's House and Wore Her Panties. <laughs> now, w- when you take that out of context, it sounds weird, because I did wear some clothes. I did borrow clothes. Um, but that's how we became friends, and we've been friends ever since. Yeah, I mean, famously, uh, you've been friends. You've done a lot of things together. Mm-hmm. You uh, started a magazine together mm-hmm. that you yeah. continue to work on. To yeah, this I'm day. still. That's that's my other job. So I have CBS this morning, and then I go over to O oh, the Oprah Magazine, and so it really is two full time jobs. And they say, you know, it's always bad to work with friends. And I think both of us never really worried about that because at the end of the day, it's called O, the Oprah magazine, not G, the Gale magazine. So at the end of the day, you know, she always has final word. And so that was never going to be an issue for me. It still isn't. You know, what's interesting to me about your relationship is um, for a very long time, your identity for a lot of people, yeah. not in Hartford, Connecticut, yeah. where you were an anchor for right. 18 years. And I want to ask you about that. Uh, was oh she's she's Oprah's, Oprah's sidekick yeah and you were defined. I would say Oprah's best friend sidekick sidekick makes us sound like a comedy duo but I was known as Oprah's best friend no question about that and and so much so that she wanted you to come and yes. take over her show yeah when she was gonna get when she was gonna get um, when <clears> she was leaving you know people would say. Um, if I would meet somebody and they'd say, hey, Gail, I, I, I just assumed they were from Connecticut. Oh, are you from Connecticut? No, I'm from, uh, one lady said, I'm from Detroit. I said, you're from Detroit? Then how do you know me? Oh, because you're Oprah's best friend. I saw you on the Oprah show. Yeah. So that was always like, oh, okay. Because uh, to me, my identity was anchoring the news in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> and I think so, that's kind of so funny. I'm, you know, now, yeah. uh, I mean, Oprah's still Oprah. And I'm still known to a lot of people as her best friend. Except you now now millions of Americans see you every morning. Yes, they and do. And you've got you really have your own identity. Yeah. There are lots of people who watch the morning news who have no idea That's about true. Oprah. So I guess my question to you is is that liberating in some ways? I mean, is was there did you feel like you've uh, recaptured your own identity here? Well, you know, what's interesting is I never felt I lost my identity. I always, I always saw myself honestly shining in her light, not in her shadow. So I take, you know, I'm proud that I'm her best friend. I, th- I think, listen, I think it's cool to be her best friend. I have never seen a downside to being the best friend of Oprah Winfrey. In fact, if you're trying to get in somewhere and you can't get in, I'm thinking, God, I wish I had an Oprah T-shirt on right now <laughs> to jar somebody's memory. So, so I have never, yeah. I've never shied away from that. 
You but know, now but, you can drop your own name. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I dropped Charlie Rose's name. You know, yeah. I anchor the news with Charlie Rose. <laughs> but now that uh, I'm on CBS, a lot of people know me in a different light. And you know, it's funny. When I first started on this show, people thought, oh, she got that job because she's Oprah's friend. And then people saw me and went, whoa, how did you learn how to do that so fast? I go, well, I'd been doing it for really over 20 years. And people were surprised yeah. that I even had a job, David. Yeah. They thought, you, you've actually had a job? I go, yes. I've been working a very long time. So that was always a, a but it didn't, And that's people. interesting that uh, it didn't, uh, that it, that, that's healthy. Well, but. because, you know why? It's, you know why? Because I always liked my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I would go to her house, and it's wonderful, as you might imagine. You know, she's always made a gazillion dollars in, in comparison to me. You know, I was making 12. She was making 22. And I remember thinking, God, what if you made 30,000? About 30, thousand, thousand, not yeah, million, yeah, right? Yeah, yes. Never been million. 12,000. <clears> um, <throat> and now, you know, and I'd say, wow, what if when you turn 30, you make 30,000? So, and at the time, I was married. I had kids. And I would come home. And their stuff would be all over the place after leaving Oprah's very posh place. And I would come home, and I would just be so happy that I was home. So I never coveted anything that she had. And I think when you're happy with your own life, you can feel that. So that's why it's never been an issue for me to feel lesser than or, God, I wish people knew who I was, because I was always happy doing what I was doing, where I was doing it. One question about Oprah, and then I I, I, want to talk about Gail King, mm-hmm. um, you you've been resistant to. You've said in the past that you don't like to think in terms of brands, especially oh, in I journalism. Hate that word, yeah, yes. I do too. I hate it. I do. T- I I used to. I used to resist it for public, you know, figures, and I was in charge of sort of, I guess, developing brands. But yeah. I I didn't want to think. Of, I don't think of people in public office as commodities. That you know. Why don't we like it? Because I don't like it. And now I see because these young people. Because it sounds manufactured. It sounds it synthetic. It does. It I can never synthetic. think. I just, it sounds very extra, as the <clears> kids of today say. And I see these young, Zane, you know that word, extra. So, <laughs> you know, I see these young people saying, oh, well, that's not good for my brand. I go, brand, who are you? People don't even right. know who the hell you are. And you're talking about, oh, that's not good for my brand. I can't do that. So I'm very resistant to people say, well, what is your brand? But... There probably are few more distinctive brands uh-huh. in American society and media than Oprah. Yeah, I mean, she has a brand. She's been resistant to it, but now I think she has to acknowledge she has a brand. Yeah, I mean, but so I don't much think so her that brand has anything to do with my brand. If no, no, whatever that no, no. Is. Well, okay, no. I mean, I think you've, like I said, I think one of the things that is 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 interesting to me is you've got your own thing now, mm-hmm. very distinct. Although I think some of the things that uh, uh, make her attractive to people also make you attractive to people, mm-hmm. and that is the ability to talk to people yeah. in a genuine way. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, I mean, mean, and did you did you learn stuff from her? Did she learn stuff from you? Well, I think that we're both very similar. I mean, we just had we were talking the other day. <laughs> about something, and we said that phrase at the exact same time when we were referring to something. So, you know, there are times that uh, when we were younger, people would say, I can't tell you guys apart if you're on the telephone because our people would say your inflections are the same, you all speak a lot together, and I'd say, she's stealing my line. I said that. <laughs> you know, so we're, It's I think, comforting it, to have a friendship like that. Though. Well, you know what I realized, David, the older I get, a lot of women don't have a best friend. 
And I just assumed everybody had a best friend or had somebody that they're close to. And I, I'm seeing now a lot of people don't have it. And, or they have friends that they don't trust, or they have friends that aren't really friends that are not wishing the best for them. I mean, I think Oprah and I both feel we are always honest with each other. Uh, I've never had a time where I said something or she said something that I thought she's saying it to be mean. Even if, it, even if I disagreed, I never thought it was something that she was saying because it was hurtful. And I think she feels the same about me. And that you can totally trust. It's good to have somebody you can totally trust. That's why, you know, people, I've been approached many times about writing a book. You'll like this. And I go, what's my book about? Well, you know, you went to school in Turkey and you were married and divorced. I said, okay. And, and, and oh, you know, well, maybe you could write something about friendship. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> what happened to my very interesting life? Yeah. So, and I also feel that when you've been in the inner circle, I don't like seeing people in the inner circle write books that portrays what happened in the inner circle. And mm-hmm. I think when people approach me, um, although the other day somebody asked me if I wanted to write a book about parenting, but normally they want to talk about friendship and what that was like and bumps, and, and I would just never do that. You know, uh, I, I wrote a book a few years ago that was an autobiography called Believer, and you were kind enough we to have it. me on. We, you, you were great. We, you, we I had so you and your book on the show. You did, and you actually read it, yes, which you I do. Did. I know you do that oh, because I do. I, I've seen you in, uh, yes. interview other authors. But when I went to uh, pitch the book to publishers, and I talked to maybe eight of them, uh-huh. um, you know, uh, some of them were well, what, what can you tell me about Obama? Yes. And um, I said, this isn't, that's not what this book is about, and uh, if that's what you want, that's not. The publisher that I ultimately w- went with was someone who said, you know, there can be hundreds of books about Obama. We're interested in your yeah. story. Yeah. And they were very faithful to that. But I understand that, that you know. Well, and they want you to just, and when they say, what can you tell us about Obama or what you can tell us about Oprah, it's really about the dirt. They don't want to yeah, hear any right, of the good of stuff. Yeah. You know, because it's what are the 10 to, bullets that, yeah, they can, yes. that can drive the news? Right. No, there's no doubt about right. it. And, and uh, I think there were people who were frustrated when I wrote my book that there, there weren't, uh, you know, I wasn't diming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, people and well, so on. Well, you have a story to tell because really well, you have a front row seat and you can talk about it and it doesn't have to have negativity about yeah. it. You can talk about what you went through. You have a, But you have a story too. When I called you and asked you to do this, you said, well, why, why, what am I, I going to talk said, about? I'm not that interesting. Yes. So you mentioned, <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, parenting. Yeah. And you've got two grown children yeah, now. Yeah, they're potty trained and employed. Yes. <laughs> they're 30 and 31. You, and they're uh, awesome. You, uh, you were fully engaged in your career in journalism when you were raising them, and you got divorced yeah, when in they the were, middle of yeah, it. Yeah, when they were, they were young. They were little guys. They were four and five. And, um, you know, you read all these stories about kids of divorce are all screwed up or it's going to be very difficult. I was very fortunate, if you can be fortunate in a divorce, because a divorce is very painful, and nobody I know wants a divorce in most cases. Um, but I was very fortunate in that when I got a divorce, I didn't have to move. You know, so many women have to either move out of the house that they were in or they're left with nothing. You know, he moved and I didn't miss a beat. We still stayed in a really lovely home. They still went to the same school. So their lives weren't uprooted and neither was mine in terms of, you know, I now don't no longer have income coming in. So knock on wood, I'm very grateful to that. 
And so mine isn't the typical story of, you know, your life is turned upside down, other than a personal level, that was turned upside down. But in terms of uh, security, emotional security, and financial security, and for Kirby and Will, too, we didn't have to go through that. And in terms of your own time mm-hmm. uh, as a single parent, mm-hmm. um, how did you organize yourself in such a way as to, because this is the struggle that a lot of parents go through. Now, you had resources, as you point out, so yes, that helps. I did. I did but resources. resources aren't a substitute for the other, the other elements of parenting. No, because I wanted to be very engaged in their lives, and I was. You know, there was an article you know, somebody said something about helicopter parenting, and I called Kirby and Will, and I said, did you guys think I was a helicopter pilot? And Will said, well, what did Kirby say? And I said, I'm asking you. She said, he said, what did Kirby say? And when I called Kirby, Kirby said, I hear choppers. So, so I never thought of myself that way, but I was very engaged and very involved, and I think that that's a good thing. I wanted them to know that, you know, uh, what they thought – I wasn't a parent that wanted to be best friends with their kids. I think parents make a big mistake with that. We are not equals. We are not peers. And this is not a democracy. I want to hear your opinion, and your opinion matters to me. But at the end of the day, I'm going to make the call. I would call it mommy decisions when they would say, why can't I? That's wrong. I said, well, I heard your opinion. And sometimes I could be swayed. But I was very, I don't think I was strict, but I had very definite uh, do's and don'ts. And I think kids, ultimately, David, they don't, you don't think they do, but they really do want structure. Mm-hmm. When Will was maybe 11, 12, you know, he had asked to go to a friend's house. I said, well, you can't go. You know, I just don't think that that's good. Then his friends came in, so please, Mrs. King, can he go? Can he go? And I said, no. And I looked at Will, and I said, Will, do you want to go? He goes, yeah, I really want to go. And I said, all right, you can go, but you have to be home by X amount of time. They left the room. Will came running back and said, why did you say Yes. I go, you told me you wanted to go. Well, I never thought you'd say yes. <laughs> he said, because he told his friend, come and ask my mom. He goes, I never thought you'd say yes. Why did you say yes? I don't want to go. <laughs> and I cracked up. And then I realized they really do want the structure of that. Because I thought, maybe I am being too tough. Maybe, okay. Well, he was 13. Maybe I should loosen the reins a little bit. And then it was, it was quite a lesson to me to realize they do want the structure. They really do. We're going to take another short break, and we'll be right back with Gail On the X-Files. On the X-Files, yes. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about your current project, uh, the CBS Morning News, because people oh. sort of, first of all, it was a new concept. Yeah. I mean, first of all, Charlie Rose. Yeah. Everybody, everybody knows Charlie as yeah. the guy at the table having lengthy conversation. In a dark room. In a, in a tent. Yes. Essentially. He's, he's like uh, Gaddafi, you know. He's like, <laughs> he's got his little black tent, and you have to go and, and table, see him there. Yes. Uh, and, he's, and he's used to being alone, too, David. Yes. So he's used to being alone. He's the only child. And so what you know about him is that he plays nicely with others, and he's very generous. But just think about that pairing for a second. In the beginning, it was me, Charlie, and Erica Hill. Yes. And people would say, you know, Charlie Rose and Gail King, how is that possibly going to work? As a matter of fact, Oprah said to me, that's the worst idea I ever heard. That's just, <laughs> but if they offer it to you, you should take it. Uh-huh. But it's the worst idea I ever heard. It's never going to work, blah, 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 blah. And, and let me ask you a question. At the beginning, you were you – Am I imagining this, or were you not on in the first yes. half hour? No, or, you're not imagining it. Yeah. I was. You didn't see me. You didn't see my smiling face till eight o'clock. 
But I was told that in the beginning. I was told that, so it's not like I felt snubbed. I was told by Chris Licht, who you know. Yes. This is what we're going to do. He's, he was the executive producer. He's now with Stephen now Colbert. Now he's with Stephen Colbert. But Doing look pretty at, well Look at there. Chris Licht's record, by the way, because he started Morning Joe. Yes. And people thought, what's that going to be about? Then he started CBS This Morning. He's the reason why I'm here. Yes. Because I would used to do Morning Joe from time to time. So I said, I would have loved to be in the room when you proposed my name. Did you hear crickets? What, <laughs> what happened when you said, you know, it'd be good, Gail King. But it was proposed that we're going to do two hours. Charlie would drive the first hour and you would drive the second. And that the first hour would be hard news. The second hour would be hard news. And we would add other things, uh, pop culture related things, politics. It would be more diverse. So that was the original game plan. And then, you know, gradually they started adding me at 7.30, and then they added me at 8, and then – and now we have the team, me, Nora, and Charlie. Was Charlie resistant to having you there at the beginning in doing hard news? If he was, I never heard about mm-hmm. it. If he was, I never heard that. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that he was actually encouraging it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I think that – you know, he was hearing very good things in the streets about, you know, I love the chemistry between the two of them. We want to see more of her. I think that from the very beginning, and I didn't know him well, you know, he he went to Duke, favorite son Will went to Duke, so I would see him at Dukey events. And I knew, of course, that he was Charlie Rose, and I'd see him at, um, you know, social things, but I didn't really know, know him the way I know him today. But I think it's funny, when they came to me, David, and they said, you know, we're doing something new, and I said, who would the co-anchor be? They said, well, we're, we can't tell you because we want to find out, gauge your interest. I said, well, I can't tell you if I'm interested if I don't know who the co-anchor is. I can't. Am I interested in news? Yes. Am I interested in morning TV? No, not really because the hours are so shitty. Getting up that early right. isn't for me. So it would have to be something really great. So they finally told me that it was Charlie Rose. And I go, does he know you're talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> that was my first reaction. <laughs> Well, you know how this business works. They wouldn't have approached me if he hadn't signed Your off Your second on it. should have been, is, how the hell is he going to get up at <laughs> 3 in the morning? Well, he has adjusted because we know that Charlie is a night night owl. Yes. But, you know, he's also a consummate profession professional. Uh-huh. We're both very curious. And knock on wood, so far, so good. It's worked out yeah, okay. Yeah, well, and you brought in Nora O'Donnell. Yeah, and, so and- she came maybe... Eight months in, they mm-hmm. decided they wanted to make a change. Yeah. And she came and, you know, I, I really don't remember a time when it wasn't the three of us, to be honest yeah. with you. I don't really remember Well, that's that. sort of when, when they finalized that, the chemistry really yeah. clicked. It's interesting, you know, people uh, don't, I don't think people, they may, if they think about it, uh, get to this. But casting on these things is incredibly important. People want to believe science. that people want to believe that there is a relationship between yeah. the folks who they wake up and watch every morning, and that they don't hate each other, yeah. and that they enjoy their each other's company. Because you don't enjoy their company if 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 you don't feel they're enjoying each other's company. Well, it, it makes it um, it makes it uncomfortable for people to watch. Um, a morning crew that they don't think gets along. And nobody wants to be made to feel uncomfortable in the morning. You know, so you look at some of the other stations. And oh, so it happened out. at the Today Show. Well, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think they're going through it now with, you know, Megyn Kelly's new show is starting soon. There was just an article this morning about how people are saying, oh, what's going to happen? What, what's it going to be like? I like her very much, and I'm cheering her on. But already you have people that are drinking big old glasses of Haterade. And I, I, I just think that there's enough in this morning morning uh, 
tableau, if you will, that there's enough for everybody. Yeah. But chemistry is an imperfect science, and you can pick people that look really good on paper, and then you put them together, and you go, what the hell? That just isn't working. Yeah. We, we didn't have that. We, we really blended very, very quickly, I have to say. The other inspiration that David Rhodes, the president yeah. of CBS News, and, and, and Chris Licht had was that there was an opening for a harder news show. And that sort of ran counter to the philosophy of morning television. You saw Good Morning America going in a different direction today, trying to compete with them. And you guys tried to take a different piece of real estate, and you have. Well, you know, the the thing was, um, the news is back in the morning, aren't just hollow words. And our mantra was um, that, you know, we were going to deliver hard news and that we were going to do a newscast that it would be professional and it would be smart. And I think we've delivered on that. But the beauty is there's something for everybody in morning TV. But every day somebody says to me, I used to watch X and now I watch you guys because I like what you're doing. Well, you guys are up like 45% yeah, since you yes, started. Yes, right. We haven't been number one, David, since. And I know you'll know this, Zane. You won't. Captain Kangaroo. Ah, uh, yes. Zane, do you know Captain Kangaroo? Zane is shaking his head. We gotta no! Get, Zane, you're going to have to get a mic. <laughs> From now on, if Zane. we're gonna if we're gonna be if we're Zane. gonna weave you in, you all people can't see you nodding and shaking. Well, your he's head. very cute. We should take a picture and put it on the website. <laughs> Captain Zane. Captain Kangaroo, yeah, yeah was, was a morning out of show. Our youth, yes, uh, was a, a a morning show that they were number one. Huh? They were number one. So CBS hasn't been number one since Captain Kangaroo, and so they've tried. There have been many um, iterations of the morning news, but yeah. this is the first time, David, that they can see a noticeable shift in the numbers. What you need is Mr. Green Jeans. I know. Remember him? He was yes. part of the Captain Kangaroo. Of course, Kangaroo, I remember him. Captain Kangaroo. Who are the most... Zane does not. Who is the... No, we can <laughs> stipulate that. Who are the most interesting uh, people? You, you, you've, you, Thousands of people have passed through there. Yeah. Who are the most interesting folks that you've... Like, well, I've you, always liked Michelle Obama. We had Michelle Obama early in our, in our when we came on. Um, and she agreed to do an interview, and it came just at the same time as Jody Cantor's book. And I kept thinking she's going to cancel, she's going to cancel, she's going to cancel, and she didn't. That's I a mean, reporter for the New York Times. She, a reporter wrote a book for the New York Times who had her. written a book about um, about the Obamas and uh, Michelle Obama in particular. But I think you know it's it's not celebrity driven. Quite often the stories like I love the. Well, woman. stop for a second because yes. um, the Obamas. Yes. Uh, you're you're friends with them. Yes, I would say that. Yes, and you've. Uh, been on trips, vacations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I plead guilty. Hello, my name is Gail. Yes. Yes. And um, what's your point, David Axelrod? Well, it's a question. <laughs> it's not a. Does that create problems for you? Do people? Does it make your bosses nervous uh, that um, you're that you're socializing with the people you're covering? Um, I think it makes them nervous when because you do socialize with people that you're covering. I mean, you know, I socialize with a, a lot of people that I'm covering. Um, I think it makes him nervous when it's president of the United States. Yeah. But, but, you know, I know a lot of political figures. I know a lot of um, uh, actors and actresses. Does it make it hard him. to uh, do your... Do, I mean... No. When you your friends are under attack... Mm-hmm. I mean, I can speak to it. They're mm-hmm. friends of mine as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, does, it, uh, does it create in your mind a, a, a difficult situation because you, you, you're angry? Well, I don't know. You also have to remember that you have a job, and there are some hard questions that sometimes need to be asked. And I never felt that um, being friends meant that you couldn't 
bring up topics that may be uncomfortable. I never felt that. And I don't think they did either. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they did either. You would know the answer to that. But I, I, I never felt that they did. And I think when you're president of the United States, you know, there is a certain scrutiny that that is that there's no getting away from the scrutiny and you're under the microscope. And if I'm anchoring the news that day and there's some questions that have to be asked, I never did shy away from that. You know, I, I always, you never like it when your friends are going through something difficult. I will say that mm-hmm. regardless of what they do, you never, you never like to see that. So I interrupted you and you were, you were talking about other people who you've interviewed, uh, who you, who've really, um, who you well, found really fascinating. Well, I mean, I, I like what we did, you know, the other day, um, on the news following the flooding in, in uh, Houston. That reporter who just, her name's Brandy Smith, she was the only one, her station was flooded out. She was the only one who was broadcasting on the air through Facebook. And she and her crew ended up rescuing a guy, and you saw it in real time. Yeah. I mean, I was fascinated by this young woman that she had the presence of mind to do that. And then at the end, when that's, they. That's coming from an old. News anchor, uh, local news anchor. So yeah. you must have related to. to I know. I to love. Her I love local news. Yeah. I do. I still love local news, and uh, but but she had the presence of mind to flag down someone to get this guy out of his truck and pull him out. She literally did save save his life while it's all happening live on TV. And there are some people that you can see. Well, they're having a TV moment. This is all for the cameras. That was not, there was something, and you feel this when you see people, that was not what was happening with this girl. She was genuinely concerned, and when it was all over, she said, can I just give you a hug? Because she was, she was so amped up, and her adrenaline was going about what had happened. That was just very, very sweet to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will remember a story like that longer than somebody who may have been the most important interview of the day, just because I was touched by mm-hmm. her humanity. The world's full of great stories. There are, David, yeah, and, yeah. And, and they come out in times like this. There, was, there, there are also other things come out in times like this, too. I happen to watch your interview with the president. I think she was the president of the Red Cross. Oh, yeah, during the hurricane. There have been yes. questions about how the Red Cross is using resources that they are given during these uh, difficult because where do periods. they go? I hear all these complaints about you give money to Red Cross. Does it really go to Hurricane Harvey, or is it going to to uh, subsidize other thing that the re- other things that the Red Cross are doing, operating expenses, or other or other catastrophes? When you give, you want to know. I'm giving to the Harvey people. That's where I want my money to go. Yeah, right. And so I did think that was a fair question, and I was surprised that she didn't know the answer to and how much money have you it. raised? Yeah. Yeah, but. I wasn't trying to make her uncomfortable or... No, she had talking points, and she could not get past yeah. her own talking points. Yeah. That was... You could take that... You could have take that, taken that tape and taught a, uh, a class on crisis communications yeah. and uh, said, this is, this is exactly how you should not uh, answer. Or, or just be ready, because as you know, they weren't hard questions. They no. were just relevant questions about how the Red Cross was handling Hurricane Harvey. Let me ask you, Hillary Clinton... Uh, her book just came yeah, out. Yeah, she did Sunday morning. We tried to get her. <laughs> yeah, I was Not to, I, I didn't mean to touch on a sensitive nerve there about booking. It's very sore. <laughs> if you I, had I feel a, no if you, bitterness. If, but if you, if you did have her, what would you have asked her? I feel her? no bitterness. I want to know how she really felt. I mean, you know, there are so many times, you know, the fact that she didn't win was shocking to many people. And, and now I, I, I feel that she's getting um, 
getting a lot of negativity because people feel she's whining. Maya Angelou used to always say, you know, uh, never whine because it lets them know there's a victim in the neighborhood. But I really do want to know when she realized that there was a problem in the campaign and what does she think that problem was and what's her responsibility to that problem? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the fact that, you know, that, that, that Bernie Sanders could get so close to Hillary Clinton and stir up division in the Democratic Party should have been a big sign that, you know, we are not united, that the Democratic Party was not united as a party. And I think that, you know, it, 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 it sort of splintered. And yeah, I, I think there think was a reli- uh, there was an over reliance on the notion that Trump was so objectionable to Democrats that whatever their differences that they but the would Democrats rally, didn't have to worry. A lot of them stayed home, you know. Well, uh, well now you know. Listen, I, I, she did win by three million votes nationally. She did. She won the popular vote. I think that's a better conversation, you know, because I think that when you win, when you have more votes at the end of the day. I think you should have won whatever the race is. Yeah, well, that's but not what the Constitution I, says. I realize that. I realize yeah. that. But I'm thinking maybe we she's should have a conversation about well, that. Well, she's starting, she's starting that conversation. But I don't uh, think that, you know, it, it, I feel myself. I voted for Democrats and I voted for Republicans. Mm-hmm. I am not from the school that because you're a Democrat, you don't have a good idea, or because you're a Republican, you don't have a good idea. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really do feel that there are good ideas in both parties. On Hillary, the reason I raise it is because you're a great student of people. Mm-hmm. And what was your observation of her as an interview subject and uh, as a candidate, not as a, an author looking back, mm-hmm. but as a candidate in real time? Because my, my sense was... Part of her problem, you probably know her or met her socially. Part of the problem was that she was very reserved and Mm -hmm. she very much stuck to talking points. Mm -hmm. And that was too apparent. Yeah. I can't say that I know her, know her, but everybody wants to feel they're seeing the real you. Especially when you're running for president of the United States. Nobody ever says, gee, I wish Donald Trump would speak his mind. (laughs) Sometimes they say, I wish he wouldn't speak his mind. You always know. But, you know, (laughs) Chelsea, her uh, favorite daughter, went to Stanford. And Kirby, my favorite daughter, also went to Stanford. And we were having a conversation. And she said, don't you know when you go to Bed Bath & Beyond and you're pushing the cart? I mean, it was such a small thing, but it was so true. And I thought, gosh, if people saw that about her she goes i remember pushing that cart and just crying because chelsea was leaving you know when people can see that about you yes and it's not fake and it's not phony that was not a phony thing she was saying no that was a mother whose daughter was going off to college for the first time and you just have that uh in your gut when you know that they're leaving home and i thought boy i wish people could see more of that about her i want to point out for our listeners that that is an authentic New York City si- siren, siren outside of the CBS broadcast yeah. uh, center. So and that is a unique horn. We are right not outside. adding this sound effect. Yes. That is actual, authentic yes. sound effects. That's New York. Uh, yes. Gail King, it is, um, it's great to be Thank with you. Thank you, David. Nobody That's ever would say you are inauthentic. No, nobody. And, no. I, and I think Nobody that, would say that. Uh, yeah. That's and that, good. That, that's a gift. That is a real gift. I, I'm not even trying to be a gift. I don't know how to do anything else, honestly. I thank you. I thank you for coming here today. Thank you you too, Zane. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, part of the CNN Podcast Network. For more episodes of The Axe Files, visit cnn.com slash podcast and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. And for more programming from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, visit politics.uchicago.edu.
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 